guests this morning. I, I want to apologize to you. You timed it in a Sunday where you won't hear Pastor Josh. And I feel bad about that. That's just the reason you'll have to come back next week so you'll hear our lead pastor share the Word of God. But I'm very thankful for this opportunity to share the Word this morning. We are going through the book of Acts, and I'm excited about the passage we're going to look at this morning in Acts chapter 6. I have some handout sheets, and I'm going to ask Caleb if you'd be willing to distribute these if you'd like to follow along with an outline and a few notes and Jot down anything if you're a note taker. And then throughout the week, maybe you can review what God has given us this morning. I hope you're ready to hear the voice of God. It's not this guy, but it's the voice of God speaking his message through his word. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. God knew it. God prepared and planned in the timing of the preaching schedule, in the study and prayer and preparation of this message. For such an hour as this, God has something for each of our lives. And I'm excited about that. It's in Acts chapter 6. What I'd like for us to do is read the passage. It's only a seven verses, either along the note sheet or if you have your own Bible. This is the ESV translation. And uh, let's read it responsibly. That is, I'll read the odd-numbered verses. and congregation, you will read the even-numbered verses, okay? And that will spare you from having to read the verse with the long... Greek names in it, but let's read God's word together. I'll start with the first verse and then even numbered verses, congregation. Acts 6. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to the prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they sent before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And let's all read together verse 7. And, and the, the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Exciting portion of scripture. Let me ask, did you have a good week this past week? Ending February now, we've got a, another day or two left, and then it's March. Uh, good week for all, but did anybody have a problem in life this week? Anybody have a problem at all? Or was life just peachy keen perfect this last week, okay? How many of those problems involved a person? Now, don't point at anybody or call out a name or don't look at anybody, but... A lot of our life problems deal with people <laughs> problems, right? Well, we're going to see that exact thing in the scripture this morning. As we've been going through Acts, we see that Jesus, before he left, his last words in Acts 1 were, I'm sending the Holy Spirit to you, my disciples. He will enable, empower you to be my gospel witnesses throughout the whole world. And then Jesus ascended and returned to glory. The, and from that point on now, we see his promise fulfilled. He will build his church through spirit-filled witnesses of the gospel. 
And in Acts chapter 2, the gospel is preached. Souls believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Thousands. And the church is birthed in Jerusalem. In the following days and chapters, the number of the disciples increases. The gospel spreads. More people come to faith in Christ in spite of persecution that's starting to, to oppose the faith. In spite of some problems and issues, the, the gospel is going forth through faithful disciple witnessing. And when we end chapter 5, every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that, that Christ is Jesus. The Christ is Jesus. They're just excited, enthusiastic, and faithful to proclaim Jesus Christ to their world. And it's turning the world upside down. Now we come to this paragraph in Acts chapter 6, what we read, it almost is a head-scratcher at first. Because it, it looks like we're diverting the, the flow of the book from the gospel mission spreading to an internal issue in the church. There's a problem. There's a problem in the church. Verse 1 tells us uh, there was a complaint. That's kind of a negative thing. You'd like to think we don't come to church to hear complaints, right? But the reality is a church has problems because a church has people. And churches aren't perfect because people aren't perfect. And it's always been said, if you can ever find a perfect church, don't join it. Because the moment you do, it's no longer perfect, right? <laughs> we just have to accept the fact that God has an imperfect group of people who are redeemed by the blood of Christ, faith in him, and he assembles them together, and at times they have problems. But this is a good problem. If you'll notice verse 1 says, it was when the disciples were increasing in number that this complaint arose. I remember as a boy growing up, there'd be times where I'd have these uh, inexplicable uh, pains, sore joints, my knees or maybe my elbows. And my mother would always say, that's growing pains. Your body is just growing and your joints are telling you, you know, they, they're, they're stretching and, and increasing. Well, I'm not sure I checked with my resident nurse. I guess that's a medical thing. It's not just a mom myth. But when your body grows, it sometimes uh, shows some painful effect. The body of Christ is growing here. And so there are some growing pains going on. That's a good problem, growing pains. The infant church of Jesus Christ has gone through some external problems. Persecution hasn't stopped them. Throwing them in jail didn't slow down the leadership or the church. Kept them on fire and faithful with the gospel. They even had a little internal problem back in chapter five, a little sin in the camp when there was greed covetousness, deception in the heart of one couple. And God dealt with it rather severely to show how serious he takes uh, hypocrisy in the church. And we need to be a transparent, real people, authentic, even with our sin. We confess, we deal with it, and don't sweep it under the rug. But now here's an internal problem, people problem. The church is having a little... Um, internal clash, a friendly family feud. You notice the complaint deals with the daily distribution to the widows. And that's a good thing. It shows us the church, even early on, as a family of God, takes care of its own. 
They had a program already, some kind of a policy established to help widows in their church. The Church of Jesus Christ helps the needy, whether they be widows or orphans, uh, unemployed, sick, hurting, homeless. The, the church is there to meet needs of people with the love of Christ. And you could read this afternoon in your study, 1 Timothy chapter 5. A whole chapter is devoted to how the church takes care of widows in that day. It, it was not a small thing. It was a major part of their ministry. But here there was an issue in that daily distribution, whether it was handing out food, uh, clothing, perhaps some monetary assistance, some kind of resources. Some of the church felt it wasn't it wasn't being fairly applied. Hellenists, which would be a term for Greek-speaking Jewish Christians, so these are probably people who lived in other countries where they learned the Greek language and lived in the Greek culture, and they came back to Jerusalem. And they're a little different in background and language and custom than those in the church who are the Hebrew Christians probably grew up in Israel, they're speaking Hebrew or the Aramaic language of the day, and, and it's the Hellenist widows who feel uh, they're not being taken care of the same way the Hebrew widows are, and that's not fair, and so there's a little misunderstanding going on, some hurt feelings. I'm not sure if they're accusing them that this is because of prejudice or you're, you're biased against us Greek-speaking Jews. It's probably just a case of the church growing so big, so fast, that unintentionally some things fell through the cracks, as will happen. And now they're going to need to attend to that and deal with that. So that's the problem. I think there's a lesson here for us, friends. Sometimes, even when you're doing some good things from right things, you may be misunderstood. You may be even criticized for something, and it's not your intention to be hurting people or wronging anyone. Sometimes, in our imperfections, even in ministry, we don't always get it right the first time. And so that calls for grace, right? Patience. And calls for commitment. Keep doing right, even if you're misunderstood. Somebody sees you going into some shady nightclub and they wonder what is he doing going they don't know that you're going in there to get your drunk cousin and drive him home once again or they see you coming out of a liquor store and they think oh boy uh, what's wrong with brother so-and-so well they didn't know that you just delivered a maybe a food basket and a gospel tract to an employee in there that you've been reaching and know he's in a hard place so just some examples that in our life in ministry good things can sometimes cause misunderstanding hurt feelings but we deal with that and how do we deal with that let's look at God's solution in verses 2 through 6 let's see how God who not only allows problems in the church or in our lives sometimes he even orchestrates he engineers them and for one reason, to test us. How are we going to resolve our problems? How are we going to tackle the issues that come up in church and family and in life, at work, school? Are we going to trust God and do it His way, with His wisdom, from His Word? Or are we going to try and just tackle it in our own flesh? I'll handle this on my own. Or even worse yet, 
just avoid it. Just not want to deal with any issue and sweep it under the rug or run away from that problem. I'll go somewhere else where there isn't problems. Good luck finding wherever that is. No, God says, deal with it my way. And here's how God dealt with it in Acts chapter 6. I want you to note, first of all, the people involved. Because God is going to use church people to solve church problems. It's not some outside agency or some government group or management service that needs to be called in to mediate this problem. There may be a place for some of those groups and agencies, fine. But if it's a church family issue, then let's solve it in-house. Let's let God's people with God's word and God's wisdom resolve that church problem. And here's how it, how it worked with these people. If you'll notice in your uh, notes, there's three groups of people that we'll see and the structure of the church and how it functioned then. And we model our church after this, this pattern is, is starting with leadership. They're not called pastors. They're the apostles here, the 12. But they are the shepherds of the flock to this point. Later on, the New Testament will give them the title of pastor. They'll also be called elder, or they're even called bishop. We believe those three terms describe the same man who has the office and the responsibility of leading the flock of Jesus Christ. So notice what the 12 do in verse 2. The 12 summon the full number of the disciples and say, and they lay out an idea, a plan. Leadership initiates the solution. It starts with leadership. Leadership maintains its spiritual focus. If you'll jump down to verse 4, this is key. For Pastor Josh and myself and any man in pastoral ministry, this is the heart and objective of being a pastor. Verse 4, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. A pastor cannot do everything. A pastor can do a lot of things. But a pastor must do one thing well and right, and that is the ministry of the Word and prayer. You want your pastor to be a, a spiritual leader through the spiritual means of talking to God, praying to God for you as well as for his, his own life. A man who's in the word, not just preparing messages, but living the word out by an example for the rest of the flock. So the pastoral leadership, the apostles say, hey church, we wanna keep doing our job so the church will stay strong and spiritually blessed but we also need to meet these needs that have been neglected. So here's what we need, church, congregation. You who are the assembled disciples, the known members of the body of Christ here, you choose from among yourself, verse 3, seven men. So now we're introduced to congregational involvement. The membership of the church, if you will, those who are saved and now identified committed followers of Christ here at the Jerusalem church are called upon to participate in choosing out seven of the men that they knew in good standing, they have good, good repute, so they have a good testimony of character and conduct who are spiritual men. They're controlled by, full of the spirit and his wisdom. And those seven men, spiritual, faithful men, will then be entrusted with the task of overseeing uh, the widow's needs. 
So the congregation does their part. They get involved. They probably have discussion. Then they have selection. And they put forth the seven men that are named in verse 5. And it's interesting. You might be able to tell from the, the way we read it or the way I read it. These are Greek names. It kind of makes sense if it was the Greek-speaking widows who felt neglected that they chose men who seemingly had some Greek background, if their names reflect anything. And uh, they're great men, godly men, starting with Philip and Stephen. They're the only two that we'll really get much insight into in the upcoming chapters, the next two chapters. We'll see a lot about those two deacons. The other five we don't know so much about. Nicholas came from Antioch of Syria, a proselyte. That means he was a non-Jewish convert to Judaism before he came to Jesus Christ as his Messiah and Savior. So here you have these seven men chosen by the congregation. These seven men now become special servants entrusted with that important task of meeting the needs of, of widows in the church. We don't know that these were the first deacons. Deacons will later show up in the New Testament as the other office in a New Testament church. Pastors, the spiritual leaders, deacons. It's a word that simply means servant. We're not sure if these are deacons or if they're just the precursor, the, the pioneer deacons. We don't have the word deacon here, but if you'll notice in your English Bible, the word distribution at the end of verse 1 and the word in verse uh, 3, serve tables. Uh, I'm sorry, that's the end of verse 2, serve tables. The word serve and the word distribution are both the word deacon in its verbal form. So perhaps that's a little hint that these are, you know, the prototypes of what will later become known as the office of deacon. But whatever we call them, they're, they're servants. They're men who are willing to save. They're not the pastors who are teaching and leading the church spiritually, but we want to serve God by meeting the needs of God's people. And friends, isn't that what we should all be doing? I mean, not just seven guys in any church, but every member in the church, in the body of Christ, should have a heart for brothers and sisters and say, what can I do? I don't have to be a deacon to be a servant. But some deacons, some are chosen to be in that office, to be the leaders and the, the official assigned uh, servants of the church, who assist the church by alleviating the pastor's load and giving the pastor more time and energy to focus on his priority, the ministry of the word and prayer. So God uses people to solve problems. And I hope you're willing to say, God, in the midst of the problem that's right facing me right now in life. I want you to use your people, some wise, caring, trustworthy Christian, to be the means of resolving <clears throat> conflict, if that's the problem, the means of giving me some direction or encouragement, if that's the need, or whatever the problem, Lord, I don't need uh, to go through this alone. I'm not the Lone Ranger Christian who can handle it all. I need you, Lord, and I need you to work through your people and your word. And now we come to the happy conclusion. There's a, a solution that leads to a wonderful result. And I left some blanks for you to fill in, whether you write them in or, 
or, or why don't we just speak them to completion as I start them in verse 7 it says the word of God what continue to increase yeah growth the word of God not that the print on the page was getting bigger and now they had large print Bibles no the word was increasing in its powerful influence in its credibility among the community and friends don't you think it maybe looks something like this the outsiders who are watching the Christians, and they're always watching us, aren't they? They're watching the church go through this little tense problem, Hellenists and Hebrews having a little disagreement. And when they watch the church take care of themselves and solve their problems in, in a wonderful, harmonious way, I wonder if those unbelievers are saying, you know, those Christians are the real deal. They got something going over there. They got something that I don't have that I want. And now they're listening to that gospel message with a little more uh, attention. They've seen what the gospel can do to change lives and relationships. The word of God increased. How about the number of disciples? What do we read there? The number of the disciples multiplied. I would have been happy if it would have said, we're added. Addition is good, right? That's growth. But God isn't the God of just addition. He's the God of multiplication. And you can do this with your school kids. You can do this yourself. If you just start adding one plus one is two plus one is three plus one is four, keep going to 100 while you have your child with maybe their calculator or just their, their brain, if they're a math kid, go one times two is two. Two times two is four. Four times two is eight. Eight times two is 16. By the time you get to 100, they're probably at 10,368 because they're doubling, they're multiplying while you're just adding one, one, one. God says he wants the church to multiply disciples. And that's an exciting, hopeful prospect for us when we are gospel witnesses. God will bring his word to barren hearts, bringing more to the faith of Jesus Christ. And then the last phrase, a great many of the priests, what? Became obedient to the faith. Do you realize, church, the priests were part of the earlier persecution against the first church? Some of these priests may have even been there to condemn Jesus on the Sanhedrin. These are most unlikely candidates of becoming part of the church. But God's gospel it's the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, and even to the Jewish priests who oppose Christ at every turn. Now they're coming to obey the faith, coming to trust Jesus Christ. So what do we see in conclusion? When we go through this passage, it ends where it begins. It began in verse 1, the disciples were increasing in number. It ends in verse 7, the disciples multiplied greatly. Those two bookends. And in between is a church conflict or problem that could have been, could have been really messy. It could have been deadly. It could have destroyed this baby church. But when God's people handle problems God's way, it turns into God's blessing. And problems in your life and mine do not necessarily have to be interpreted as obstacles from God, roadblocks in our life just to uh, 
somehow make our life harder? No, they could be blessings from God that are accelerators of putting the pedal to the metal of what God wants to work in and through us. The problem can be the platform for the gospel going forward in even greater ways. So when you when we see natural disasters or wars break out, or it's a hurricane or a tornado or earthquake, uh, and it might be deadly, loss of life, and yet can still be seen as an opportunity for God to save souls through the good news of Jesus Christ in that crisis moment. When you have to run to the ER, it might not just be God's purpose to fix up your body, that's what's first on our mind, could be there's somebody in that ER that needs to see or hear the faith of Jesus Christ through your life. Flat tire, you're at the side of the road because the tow truck driver or that officer who pulls over, or the good Samaritan who helps you, is somebody that God has a plan for you to have a divine appointment with to share the gospel. And that would make the flat tire worth it or the ER visit worth it if I can have a gospel impact. So our takeaway lessons from this as we're rapidly wrapping up here. Don't be alarmed by church problems, right? Mm -hmm. Just expect them because we're people. And Living Hope Church is not a perfect church. It's a great church. Bunch of imperfect people who have a perfect Savior. And we'll work through any problem that ever comes up. And God chooses and uses faithful pastors to lead servants like deacons to meet needs of the body of Christ and the congregation at large, all the members to be participants and involved in and supporting the work of God. And then church, let's do what the church of Jerusalem did. They stayed on mission with the gospel even through and even because of the conflict or the problem in the church, the gospel is needed more than ever. What is the gospel? Here it is. Boys and girls can learn this. Mom and dads can learn this with your hands. The gracious creator God, with his powerful hand, reaches down and creates a man and woman in his image. And they can have perfect fellowship until the man and woman, our foreparents, decided to do the selfish, disobedient, sinful thing and break fellowship with God and turn into selfish sinners who rebel against the creator. And the Creator cannot tolerate sin. He's holy. He's just. And so He cannot allow that sin. But here's the good news. The offended Holy Creator reaches out His hand to provide what's now needed. Salvation. And He offers that salvation of forgiveness of sinners and restoration of fellowship. But what remains to be seen is if that hard heart sinner will let go will submit, will reach out and take from the hand the gift of God which eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord and back together in fellowship with the Creator, one with our Savior. I don't know where you're all at this morning. Is this where we're at? I hope so. Can't be before we leave. But if, if it's still like this, there's a hand that's reaching out that this morning God is saying, I brought you to Living Hope Church not just to have donuts or meet some nice people, but I want you to get to know my son, Jesus. Will you put down your arms? Will you surrender your heart? Turn from your sin. Trust the Savior. And be saved today. Pastor Josh, why don't you come lead us?